Hello and welcome to the Crowdfunding Champions podcast. I'm Rob Wilson and my guest today is Chris Forbes, the co-founder of The Cheeky Panda, who has raised over £12 million across seven campaigns on Cedars. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, great to see you again, Rob. Now, for listeners who aren't familiar with the Cheeky Panda, would you be able to just tell us a little bit more about the business? So Cheeky Panda is a bamboo tissue brand and hygiene. We created the business back in 2016. It was my partner, Julie's idea, with the idea of using the world's fastest growing plant bamboo as an alternative to trees. And since then, the business was started in our bedroom. And now we've got our £12 million turnover business and we're selling in over 25 countries. Fantastic. And this all started through rewards-based crowdfunding, was that right? So, yeah, I mean, we'd looked at the idea of bamboo and, we you know, we sort of sampled the products for about six months before we decided to sort of look at launching the business. And we went to China to, you know, make sure that the back end was ethical. So there was a lot of groundwork before we sort of just jumped into a crowdfunding campaign. But then we, what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to buy a container worth of products and then for it to be sitting in a warehouse for two years, because while we thought it was a great idea, nobody else thought it was. So the, the way to sort of de-risk that was to use our awards program was, well, let's, let's see if our friends and family could will buy the product, but let's also see if complete strangers would. And I think that was really the acid test. And if, if I think we had a £10,000 target, and we said to ourselves back in 2016, if we don't hit our target, then we won't start the business. And it was a really good way, you know, one, to see that, we could get our friends to back it. And secondly, that complete strangers would. And, and it also showed us a little bit of demand in the market as well. So once we'd shown that the product, even though people hadn't tried it, was popular, we were able to take that and then we were able to go to like e-commerce retailers or sort of natural organic online retailers and say, would you be interested in stocking this? And since that modest campaign, you went on to launch an equity crowdfunding campaign on Cedars. And since then, you've launched, uh, I think, seven in total. You've now raised £11.5 million. What has kept you coming back to equity crowdfunding? So we've had a mix of angel investment um, and sort of high net worth investment as well as like crowd investment. And I'd say it's probably split sort of 50-50 between the crowd and then the sort of the direct investors. We did it the first time round as a way to sort of amplify the brand. And that's been, you know, we spoke to a couple of private equity houses and VC houses and they sort of said, well, we're really interested in this business, but we want your turnover to be a lot bigger. And we were like, well, how do we not dilute ourselves in a way that we want, you know, be able to get the money that we want to grow? And actually crowdfunding was a very good way to do that. And I think our first crowdfunding campaign that we did was in 2017 and the share price was £4.23 market cap of 5 million. So I think we raised about 10% on that campaign. And, you know, now it's kind of, you know, the company market caps, but 85 million and, you know, share price is 50. So anybody that got in in 2017 has seen a tenfold increase in their share price. It kind of does show that, you know, it works. And, you know, why we've kept coming back to it is because we've seen the benefits. I mean, you have a lot of professional, they're professional investors, right? So they're not novice investors, you know, they know they're backing private companies early stages, and there's, there's quite a bit of risk to that. However, they all want you to succeed. So you have people that are 
in logistic companies, you have people in consultancy companies. And, you know, they, if you use your investor base, they actually give you really great free advice. Um, and then they also connect you into their networks because they want you to see you succeed. So it's kind of one of the ways I describe crowdfunding. It's not just plowing, you know, the field by yourself. You've got many hands sort of all trying to help you go in the right direction and grow as quickly as possible. And you mentioned there about sort of more traditional institutional investment. Has that sort of been part of your crowdfunding experience to date, or have you purposely decided to just focus on angel investors and and crowd investors to support the business? I mean, I think where we've got to this stage, I mean, we wanted to get you know to sort of ten million plus turnover before sort of looking at institutional. So we're now at the point where we're starting to speak to institutional capital. However, what we don't have is we don't have lots of onerous terms. Everybody. All the existing shareholders are a lot of ordinary shareholders. There's no preferential voting rights. Um, there's no warrants that you would end up having um, if you take institutional capital earlier. So it's also been very quick. You know, we've not had to spend lots of money on legal fees. Everything that we have to put into our campaign has to be evidenced. But it means that the start to finish is a lot quicker. So certainly for flexible capital, it's been very useful. And I think that we're now probably just at the last stage of being able to do the crowdfunding part and it has to be complemented with institutional capital going forward. And in terms of the types of campaigns that you've raised through Cedars, I note that most of them were straight equity rounds, but I saw that last year you did a secondary campaign, which is rather sort of unusual for Cedars. I know it's a fairly new offering. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that campaign and why you decided to launch a secondaries round? So we were very conscientious about the secondary um, campaign and we'd sort of looked at the demand on the shares. So that, like, I think the, the share price in 2020 was £36 a share and in the secondary market, there was just no availability um, to buy those shares at £36. They were all trading at between sort of 45 to £55 a share. So we knew that there wasn't enough availability in the market. So um, a secondary campaign is where existing shareholders sell some of their shares rather than that money that gets raised gets put to the company. Um, so because we knew there was a, a demand, we spoke to our community, which is 4,000 people in the, the shareholder base within Cedars now, and said, listen, we're thinking of getting a little bit of liquidity. Uh, would you be interested in getting shares at £36? Of which everybody said, yeah, because we can't buy shares at £36. All the shares that we're getting, we'll have to get them at 45 or 55. So we agreed to do them at £43.20, which was like a 20% premium. And yeah, we raised £2.5 million from the secondary, which was then split between five of the original shareholders. You mentioned there that you have a community of nearly 4,000 individual investors. Post-campaign, what level of engagement do you have with them? I think it's very important that if you do use crowdfunding, that you've got a constant communication with your shareholder base. You know, they're your biggest fans. You know, they're your advocates. They're your consumers. They're the ones that will convince their friends to buy your products. So if you don't treat them well, then, you know, they'll lose interest in you and you'll just have it as a passive share rather than something that's a little bit more proactive. So, I mean, like we get a lot of good news on a regular basis. You know, we get a lot of interesting listings. We get a lot of media coverage. So I think we're always trying to, every time we get a bit of breaking news, we try to then share it with our community so that they can feel um, part of it. 
Is that line of communication open? Are investors able to come in and ask sort of questions about how the company is performing? Yeah, I mean, on Cedars, there's a, um, there's a discussion forum. So, you know, we can post an update and then they can create a thread and then it can be like a discussion thread um, just about like impact and benefits. And generally that, you know, I would probably spend anything between two to five hours a month just on the forums, keeping people updated, you know, telling them what they want to know or take listening to any ideas. And I think that's quite, like I said, it's kind of like a big community. They're all trying to help you to win. So they're generally the ideas that they come out with are, are positive rather than negative. Sometimes you get, if you've got like a bug in your software, well, sometimes we wouldn't spot that. So like, you know, on our websites, they would then say, this isn't working. And you were like, okay, well, thanks for bringing that to my attention. And then you can go and get it fixed. So, you know, that's, it's it. Well, it's mainly positives. You know, some, if you do get pulled up on, this isn't working, actually, that's a benefit as well, because you can fix it. I've spoken in the past with previous guests about the level of disclosure during a crowdfunding campaign, and there's been mixed opinions on this. What's been your approach so far? I think you need to be very careful the information you're disclosing your pricing. Um, I think that's something that we've never really kind of disclosed. We're quite happy to talk about gross profit margins and internal, but we don't really kind of get into the weeds. I think that you, you really need to kind of have that under NDA, otherwise somebody can just come along and replicate your business model and you know, that's certainly got a lot of risks to it. So I think, you know, if you've got a relatively serious investor, I think they've got a, a good understanding about, you know, what is fair to ask and what's not fair to ask. And, you know, people will always ask you things that you don't feel comfortable with disclosing. And then I just turn around and say, not under NDA, not comfortable disclosing that. But I can tell you this, but I can't give you that. Having launched so many campaigns, I imagine that you have a set process that you follow from start to finish to launching a campaign? Um, Launching a follow-on campaign is a lot easier than launching the first campaign. I think when you do something like um, like Cedars and probably Crowdcube's the same, is everything in your video and everything in the pitch needs to be verified. So I think the first time that we did it, I think we had to have about 100 different pieces of verification information, which is a lot of data to gather. It's the same as what you would have as a prospectus um, if you were listing into the stock exchange. But then when you do a follow-on one, if you're only adding like, you know, 10 updates about, you know, different retail listings or different products, then it becomes much quicker. And then it becomes more about your video and your communications. And the benefits of crowdfunding is not just actually raising capital, but, you know, really making it a little bit of a PR event, getting your customers behind it as well getting your consumers behind it. So, you know, that's why we've kept coming back is, you know, we've had no negative impact from, you know, the campaigns that we've run. And typically, how long does that process take for each campaign? It's quick for us um, now. I mean, it takes about two weeks, three weeks maximum because they're follow-on. But if you were starting a campaign from scratch, it would probably take you, to do it properly, would take you about three months. Do you build up pre-commitment during those two weeks? We did like the first couple, you send out sort of signals to your consumer base and sort of say, listen, you know, we think about doing this, generally test the water on it. But then I think because we've had such successful campaigns previously, you know, we kind of hit our target within our, our prior round. So we've got a campaign at the moment within Cedars, which is a convertible, actually a small part of the overall capital that we're going to raise, which is an institutional round. And then as because it's a convertible, they basically get a 20% discount on the share price that comes from the main one. Um, but we raised 
like one and a half million in the private round. Um, and we've added um, about another 850,000 to that. So I think we're about 2.35. Another two weeks to run of that. So that runs until the 14th of March. And then the focus kind of goes more into the institutional side of it. And do you think you're then in a more positive position going and having those conversations with the institutional investors, knowing that you have that community of crowd investors? I think it shows the demand in the, you know, this business and the products that we sell. We're very much a 21st century company in terms of the way that we operate as a B Corp. We're, we're very diverse. We've got you know, a great sort of cross-section of products and channels. As I think that, you know, seeing that there's that, that demand out there in the market for this gives institutional investors, you know, confidence that they should be getting involved. And I want to dive into your campaign video. Often you see, particularly with larger campaigns, that a lot of time and, and sort of money goes into filming the campaign, going through all of the production. I've noticed that on the last few campaigns that you've launched, you've taken more of a modest approach and it's been more sort of down to earth. You've engaged with various members of your team and it's all been filmed via webcam. Would you be able to just tell us a little bit more about that? So obviously when you're in lockdown, you have to do things via webcam because you can't get people into studios. And so I think that was in 2021. We didn't really have much of a choice in it. I mean, we've got our own video guide, but it is really about, you know, where we are and the team, you know, we don't really need really high production value. In fact, it's a waste of money. And actually people don't want to see you sort of necessarily wasting your money. And we know that we'll fund well anyway. So I don't see this point and spend 20 grand on a video when I'd actually rather spend that more in sort of marketing or developing the brand. Do you do any marketing to promote your campaign outside of the platform? Uh, we did a bit with social media, uh, but I think we're kind of now at that point where we don't need to sort of add any more into that. So that's sort of that's finished now, and that's really the the main part of what we've done. And our marketing currently for March is basically just pushing the brand. It's not actually about our campaign, so we're not actually um, targeting additional spend um, to raise more capital into this campaign. I think we're already in a good place with it. And what would you say is the most challenging part of launching a crowdfunding campaign? Getting all your data together. And some people are quite happy to be out front talking about their business and some people are naturally shy. So, you know, the difficult thing is actually knowing how to structure and tell your story. And some people that will come easy to and some people that will be a little bit harder for. And is it just yourself that manages the campaign or do you have other members of your team that help and support with that? All the evidence part, where you kind of use it and mainly sort of sits with like finance and operations because, you know, if you're doing a, like, you have to prove a listing, then you have to prove like a um, an invoice from like a, a retailer or something like that. So when it comes to the evidence part, yeah, that sits with part of the other team. And then the video bit, you know, obviously I don't do the video part, so that sits with like our marketing team. Uh, but when it actually goes into the campaign itself, um, you know, I've run all the campaigns and I've run all the message boards and I, I think that's authentic because some of the questions, if you had it outsourced or you had it with a more junior person, they just wouldn't know the answers. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, that sometimes I'm a great believer if you're a founder that you should be quite hands-on and you should lead from the front. And that's very much my style. I like to be hands-on. I want to talk about campaign perks. I noticed that you offered them as part of this campaign. Could you tell us more about that? Well, this is really the first time that we've done like a proper rewards program. Previously, it's just been like a discount code that we've provided. 
however, this time we we know that people love like the panda hats. People love the logo, you know. So we're doing like um, everybody gets like a tote bag this time. Everybody gets a, di- a lifetime discount code. Depending on how much money they invest, they can get like a panda hat. They can get like a t-shirt. They can get a hoodie. They get a. We're, we're going to start doing like a shareholder conference at the end of every year. So every shareholder will get an invite to that. And again, it's kind of like more community feel to it. I mean, we've got quite a big, you know, community base of sort of like 4,000. So, you know, we can really expand on that. And yeah, really kind of looking forward to not just people benefiting from owning shares and, you know, getting the growth from the shares, but actually being able to walk in about in a cheeky pan t-shirt or a hat that makes them feel good. And I think as well, it's great because naturally they're going to be, you know, your brand ambassadors. They're going out there, they're shouting about it to their friends and family. So I think that there's a sort of a, you know, a huge benefit to that. Yeah. I mean, obviously it costs money to do that. And, you know, wouldn't have done it in our first crowdfunding campaign, but, you know, I think that we've, you know, we've got the resources and it's nice to give back a little bit. The only tricky one is one, because this is the first time we've done like t-shirts and stuff like that and like hoodies. Um, some people that invested earlier are like, well, hang on, I've invested that amount over the last couple of rounds. I want a T-shirt. I want a hoodie. And I'm like, well, yeah, you should be happy with the growth that you've had in the share price and the reward. There's this time thing. So I think that if that's the worst thing that's happening, I don't think that that's terribly bad. Yeah, for sure. And you've launched all of your equity crowdfunding campaigns through Cedars. You mentioned before that you've had a sort of a great experience in launching those campaigns. Has Crowdcube ever been a consideration for you? We spoke to Crowdcube in 2017. They didn't have a proper nominee structure back then, right? And the benefits of a nominee structure is that you've only got one shareholder on your register. So you don't have 4,000 different shareholders. And you know we, our ambition is to IPO the business and go to market and to be a ministry. That number of shareholders, particularly if some of them were relatively small shareholders, would be more costly than what the benefits would be. So, you know, I think Cedars, you know, were the first to create a secondary market. And then obviously the first to create that sort of secondary market product, which we got involved in, which was us um, letting some of the liquidity for the early investors. So I think I think they've kind of Crowdcube's a bigger platform. Um, so in some ways, from a business point of view, I might have had a larger number of shareholders if we'd have gone through Crowdcube. I think the money would have been roughly the same, but from a governance and controls side of things, from a share management point of view, um, Cedars was definitely the right choice. I think it's interesting as well, you mentioned the nominee structure that has obviously enabled Cedars to launch their secondary market. Have you had much interaction with the secondary market? Do you often, you know, just sort of check out and see how shares are being sold or, or is that not a sort of a concern for you? I mean, Cheeky Pan has always been one of the highest traded shares in the secondary market. And I think Cedars use our logo as and Revolut um, and, and, and two others as brands that perform well in the secondary market. So, I mean, and that's why we did our, our secondary campaign where we sold some of the original shares um, because there was no availability. So it's, when they launched it, I kind of sort of raised my eyes and I watched it. And now, you know, you can, I've also invested in other businesses as well. So it's not, and I, I tend to use Cedars for that. And, you know, I can dip in, dip out if, if I like where the company's heading or if I think, you know, actually there's not enough communication. So, I've, well, I'll, I'll just maybe move it to somewhere else. It's interesting you say that you've had some experience you know, from an individual point of view investing in other campaigns. 
what's been your experience there? Are there certain things that you look for in a campaign? And have you learned anything being on the other side of the fence and investing in, in campaigns yourself? I mean, I'm lucky because I obviously sit in the startup community. So um, I get to meet the entrepreneurs. So I would generally back the entrepreneur and then back the product. But if I think it's a good product, but I don't like if I don't think it's a good entrepreneur, then I won't back it. Even if an entrepreneur's got a slightly average product, but I think they're a real winner, I'll probably still back that business because in my experience, you know, the the, the entrepreneur is, is the making or breaking of most businesses. And from your perspective, what would be your top tips to other entrepreneurs that might be thinking about crowdfunding? And the first time is hard. And then being able to secure capital is hard because people might not know you. Um, if you've already got a product that's in market, then you've got people that have tried the products and are more likely to back you. So if you're, it tends to be consumer businesses do quite well because people have been sort of buying those products. If you're doing a services business, it's practically impossible to do uh, crowdfunding. So it needs to kind of be sort of product based and you need to, you need to have like an either a really brilliant idea or be in trading and have a number of successes under your belt. You mentioned there that consumer businesses tend to lend themselves well to equity crowdfunding. On a typical campaign, how much of your total investment would you say comes from your customer base? So, I mean, that's a good one, right? Because, I mean, a lot of the investors then become consumers. So, like, if I look at, like, a, a demographic, like a, probably a big chunk of our demographic is 35 to 50-year-old males and probably sort of like... 35, 40% of our shareholder bases in that demographic, but they're not the ones that would buy like the household tissue or the kitchen towel, for example. So they are natural consumers, but then once they become a shareholder, they become the consumer. So, because um, like, you know, we're a green stock. So we're like an eight, we're a proper ESG stock. We're, you know, we're an environmental um, business, um, first and foremost, rather than just having good social governance, which we also have. So I think that's one of the benefits, and that's why I like doing crowdfunding. Is actually you can get such a great influence um, across you know your community. And do you see yourself continuing to launch crowdfunding campaigns? Well, I think there's always a preemption side of things, and you know if, if I look at you know some of the other sort of large businesses, I mean it's kind of like an extension of what the public market is. I'm a big fan of building as many shareholders as possible. I'd love to get ten thousand shareholders. So whether I do that within the private markets or the public markets, I'm certainly looking forward to building a large shareholder base of independent um, retail investors, as well as having the institutions behind me. And Chris, do you have any other words of wisdom or anything else you think would be uh, interesting for entrepreneurs to hear? Stand out from the crowd. I mean, like, you know, I, I wear this silly panda hat, but I mean, like, it's got me well over um, a million pounds worth of media that I haven't had to pay for. So I think. You know, you might have the best product. If you don't stand out from the crowd, then it will never get anywhere. So you really need to do something visually that kind of makes you pop. So if you are doing a crowdfunding video, there's a lot of posts also seeking money. Um, and the investor will have one out of 10 companies they might want to invest in. So, you know, what makes you different? And, and just think about that. And from your experience, what has been the key things that you, in your opinion, has set the Cheeky Panda apart from other campaigns that might have been live during your time on the, on the platform? Well, I mean, we were the UK's first bamboo tissue business. So I think and then when we started with toilet tissue and then we've continually innovated. So I think that we had a genuinely original idea and a lot of campaigns are like a twist of lemon on an existing theme, which in itself is nothing wrong with that. 
you know, in some ways, it's quite it's quite a good thing because it's proven in market, and you're bringing something else like um, like lower calories or like slightly healthier or slightly better tech, but it's not truly disruptive. So I think where we've always stood out is we're a true disruptor in a 200 billion market, and you know, it's, um, we're also proving ourselves to be able to be international. A lot of brands can do well in the UK, but like, how do you then sort of demonstrate there's demand for that brand across Europe and the USA? So I think. That's kind of something that we've always had a slight edge on campaigns that have been raising capital at the same time as we have. Chris, where can we find out more about the Cheeky Panda and yourself? www.cheekypanda.com. Um, so yeah, visit the website. Um, we've got great blogs on there. We've got some great videos. We've got a great subscription service. We've got Cheeky Panda app, which is so simple to use. Subscribe and demand. And we're in the Omni channels. We're in like retailers, um, like Avocado, Amazon, Waitrose, uh, Boots. So yeah, just keep your eyes open. I'm sure you'll see more pandas and more cheekiness uh, as time goes along. Great stuff, Chris. Really appreciate you taking the time and really looking forward to uh, seeing your success. Great. Thanks, Rob. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more advice, head over to crowdfundingchampions.com and be sure to subscribe for the latest interviews. 